Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit, that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you, for the honor of your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our worship gathering. Uh, excited to, to be together and to wrap up this series called Victory, this series where we have been looking, staring into the good news of Jesus revealed in his death and resurrection. And so uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the cross from a variety of different perspectives. And this morning, uh, we're talking about Christ as our perfect example. And so if you have a bulletin, you were given an outline like this, if this is helpful for you, uh, we're going to be covering a lot of things as we have the last few weeks. And sometimes it's just helpful to, to have a reference to go back to throughout the week, to look up these scriptures, to take more time and process them in uh, whatever way you uh, find that helpful. We have been, again, over the last couple of weeks, staring into, staring into the good news of the cross. Uh, this act of God that has reformed and reimagined and revolutionized the world. This act of God moving on our behalf to rescue us from a world of the madness of violence, the madness of mutually assured destruction. And to reimagine a world that is built not on the violence of Cain killing Abel, but a world that is based on the good news of God acting on our behalf in self-sacrificial love. This is the most important thing we could ever talk about. The cross, what God has done for us through Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. It's the most important thing we could spend our time talking about. It is the center of the world The cross is the hinge of history. It is the hinge that all of human history hangs on before the Christ event and after the Christ event. It's the most important thing as Christ followers that we could talk about because we don't just follow a Jesus who lived and taught. We follow a Jesus who gave his life. And we're called to to follow him, to imitate him. And so uh, the cross, as we look at the cross, wherever you find it, and you find it all over the place, you find it, you know, and again, you find it on people's necklaces and on, on clothing and in tattoos and wherever the case may be, we see the cross all around us. And what we see when we see the cross is the center of God's saving work in the world. And it's a beautiful thing. And we, we, uh, we keep coming back uh, to this. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 2, he says, For I resolved, I decided to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You, you want to know the message of God in a nutshell? It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The death of Jesus was the culmination of his life. The death of Jesus ending up in this violent death on a Roman cross, it was the culmination of the way he lived. His life, teachings, miracles, all of that, they're not separated from his death and his resurrection. It's, his, his death on the cross was a natural culmination of his life. Jesus did not just come to die. He didn't just come to die. Jesus also came to live. His life mattered. Would you agree? 
His life mattered. Uh, If Jesus had just come to die, think about this for a second. If the only reason Jesus came into this world was to shed his blood and die, he could have been killed by Herod as an infant, and everything would would have sort of taken shape the way God wanted it to. If the only reason for Jesus to come into this world was to die, he could have been killed as a child. But he didn't just come to die, he came to live. He came to teach us how to live. He came to reveal what God is like. And it was that life, it was that revelation, it was that light shining in the darkness in the person of Jesus that led him to the cross. The cross is the natural culmination of the way Jesus lived his life. So we have been, over the last couple weeks, looked at the cross from a, a couple different perspectives. And thanks for um, this, this song here in first service. By the way, we're showing the recording here in second and third service. So good morning, second and third service as well. I'll be out maybe grilling burgers or something covered in grease stains by the time you see this. So hope that makes you hungry or disgusted or something. Uh, but uh, So we've been looking at the cross from this perspective of the three hooks that Jesus is our king, our priest, and our prophet. Uh, On Easter Sunday, we talked about Jesus being our king, that he came to defeat the powers of Satan, the accuser, sin and evil. As we look at the cross from this perspective, Christ is victorious over Satan, principalities and powers. Uh, And then last Sunday, we said we're going to move around the cross. We're going to look from this perspective, saying that Jesus... Um, cleanses us, that we are cleansed by Christ, that he's our priest, that he uh, takes away our sins. It's this great exchange that we give Christ our sins and he sort of recycles it into forgiveness and cleansing. Is that a beautiful thing or, or what? The early church called it the blessed exchange, that Christ cleanses us from our sin through the shedding of his own blood. And so Jesus is our king, he's our, our priest, and this morning what we want to do is we want to look at the cross from another angle Realizing Jesus is our prophet. The cross calls out to us with this prophetic message that gives us an example to follow, an example to follow in this world. Jesus is our prophet. Now, prophets had a rough life. It was not a fun thing. If you got called to be a prophet throughout the scriptures, you kind of want to do what Jonah did, right? You run away. Because prophets had a rough life life. Uh, Jeremiah was known as the the weeping prophet. Uh, Prophets were were given this task of speaking truth to power, powerful people. And you know, one thing about powerful people is they don't like to hear truth that's not their truth, right? It's not a popular thing to to walk in uh, to to the place where the most powerful people, the kings sort of reside and they, they rule and to speak a truth that confronts them. And convicts him. In fact, next week we're starting a, a series on the, the prophet Elijah. Three weeks. Uh, and, and Elijah, he had his trouble speaking truth to power. And, um, and this is what the prophets were called to. They were, prophets are, are interesting. If you read the prophets in the Old Testament, you realize they were, they were poets. They were divinely inspired poets. They, they write this kind of poetry that inspires us and, and challenges us. Um, Walter Brueggemann, who I highly recommend, just a brilliant, brilliant man, he says the prophets were called with this task of speaking words from elsewhere. The prophet's job is to speak words from elsewhere. It's like the prophet has their ear tuned to truth that we have all forgotten. 
truth that we no longer listen to. And the prophets hear this voice of God calling, and they have the courage to speak it into the lives of people. And prophets, do you remember when Jesus said this in, in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, hey, blessed are you, followers of mine, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted whom? The prophets who came before you. Prophets, we don't like to hear their truth, so you know what we do to them? We silence them. We shut them up. We kill them. This is, this is the story. What happens when people come and they speak truth, they speak these words from elsewhere, we do our best to silence them. Poetry, these divinely inspired poets, they, they have uh, the, the power of the poet is always felt by those in power. Poetry has the power to shake up the world like Muhammad Ali. Fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Right? Uh, do you know that the, the Muhammad, the one who starts um, sort of uh, this movement called Islam, do you know the first two assassinations he ordered? Do you know who they were of? They were not of other military leaders, warriors. Do you know who the first two people he assassinated were? Poets. Those who opposed him with poetry. Why? Because poetry is powerful. Putting words on the lips of people is a powerful thing. Have you ever been to a concert and you hear thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people singing the words that were written by one particular person? Putting words on the lips of people is a powerful thing. If you don't believe me, um, uh, finish, uh, f- finish this song. Uh, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. That was lame. You guys are better than that, right? That was, it, it, was, it was okay. It was a fair. Second and third service, it's on you to sort of redeem that one. Um, you know that song, right? Why? Because it's, it's poetic, and, and it calls us into something. How many times must a cannonball fly before they're forever banned? How many deaths will it take till we know that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, it's blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. These words of poets, they're powerful, and that's what the Hebrew prophets were. And Jesus takes his place among the prophets. In fact, Jesus is the greatest of the prophets. Um, One of the ways Jesus understood himself was as as a prophet. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. At many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. This Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty in heaven. See, the prophets were all just people. They were all just people like us. They had their own flaws. They, they, had, their own, uh, they had their own failures. But yet, prophets were called to testify to the light. To say, hey, there is light shining in the darkness. But the prophets weren't the light. They, they just pointed to it and said, hey, this is, this is the truth. This is the light. In fact, this is what John, how he opens his gospel. He says there was one who was called John the Baptist, right? He he was called to be a a testimony, a witness to the light. He himself wasn't the light, but he was called to bear witness to the light. By the way, what happened to John the Baptist? He was killed, right? He was killed by who? By King Herod. Um, He he came to testify to the light. That's what the prophets did, and, and, and the light was so pure and so good, it was blinding, and so we tried to 
put the light out by killing the prophets. But Jesus comes not as somebody who's standing in the darkness pointing to the light. He comes as pure light. He is the essence of light. He is the one who was pure light, comes into the world. And John begins his gospel by saying, we have seen this light. It shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is how Jesus is a prophet. He comes bearing witness to the light of God in the midst of a dark world. So the cross, when we look at the cross from this perspective of Jesus is our prophet, the first thing we realize is that the cross is scandalous. Uh, The cross is scandalous. And if we ever get to a place where when we look at the cross, we are not moved by the scandalous nature of it, we've become way too familiar with it. If we ever get to the place where we're not moved by the scandalous power of God coming to his own people and his own people rejecting him and God allowing himself to be nailed to the cross to take away our sins, if that ever sort of gets to a point in our lives where it just becomes ordinary, becomes common, and we miss the scandal of it, then it has become too ordinary. We're missing the power of it. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, the message of the cross, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 23, he says, but we preach Christ crucified. This is our message, Christ crucified. And it's a stumbling block to the Jews. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is scandalous. Um, What does God look like? What does God look like? How would we answer that question? What does God look like? We, of course, if you've been around the church, we talk about this a lot. God looks like Jesus. God always looks like Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus. But more even succinctly than that, God looks like Jesus on the cross. That's scandalous. We've always, if, if you're going to just sort of like take a shot in the dark and say, what does God look like? You had no history of God. What does God look like? Do you know where you'd probably come out? Some, something like Zeus. You know, you know the pictures of Zeus, if you've ever, been to, uh, you've ever been to the Vatican or you've seen these statues, maybe just pictures of them. You know how Zeus is always pictured like this? Thunderbolts, ready to be hurled at us. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. Um, this is Zeus. This is how we, like, this is how we imagine God. If you're just going to, like, blank picture what is God like, God is powerful, and he's ready to sort of th- hurl these thunderbolts and lightning at us. He's ready to crush us. He's ready to condemn us. This is how we have always imagined God and God's power, but this is not what God is like. The scandalous truth of the cross is that this is what God is like. If you want to know God's posture, it's his arms stretched wide upon the hardwood of the cross. That God doesn't come with the kind of power we expect, striking people down. Instead, he himself comes and is struck down. The cross is scandalous. The cross exposes the ugliness of human sin. One, one of the ways the cross calls out to us if in a prophetic way is it, it, it reveals, it exposes the ugliness in our hearts, the ugliness of human sin. Think about this for a second. The creator of life, The giver of life, the one who breathed into human beings, into their nostrils, the breath of life, the author of all that is, came in to this world, to those he created, and was killed 
by those he had given life. The, the, the one who created them was killed by his creation. Do you, do you begin to feel like maybe, maybe we just need to spend more time like just thinking about it, just staring into this? Because it is absolutely the most scandalous message we could ever hear that this is the truth and the power of the gospel, that Christ has been crucified. The author of life has been killed by those he has given life. The cross, one of the things it does for us is it exposes the ugliness of human sin. The ugliness of human sin. Now there's, uh, we talked a little bit about this last week. Some, sometimes, some ways of thinking about the cross make it seem as if God was the one who killed Jesus. That if, if Jesus was somehow killed by the Father. And, and again, we talked about that last week. We said that's not, uh, that's not a helpful way of understanding. That's not the way scriptures teach, but it has become a way people understand the cross. But if we look at the early church, the, the book of Acts, look at how they proclaimed the death of Jesus. So we're just going to run through these really quickly because I want us to, to get a glimpse of how these first Christians, these first disciples understood who killed Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verses 22, uh, 23 and 24. This was um, day of Pentecost. Peter stands up, preaches. He says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So who, who killed Jesus? Peter looks at Christ and says, you, with the help of wicked men. Now God knew it was going to happen. God, God certainly knew it was going to happen. In fact, it was God's plan to come into the world and to take, to absorb human sin. God knew that when perfect light came into the world, it was going to lead to us putting all of our ugliness and violence onto him. So it wasn't like this happened as a surprise to God. God knew this was going to happen. In fact, Plato knew this would happen. 400 years before Jesus, in about like 380, Plato writes the Republic, and here's what he says. If a perfectly just man ever came into the world, this is what would happen to him. He would be scourged, racked, fettered, and at last... After all manner of suffering, he would be crucified. Plato just sort of looked and said, hey, our sin is, and he didn't call it that, but our like human nature, our sin is so pervasive that if a perfectly innocent, just, pure light came into the world, we couldn't stand it and we would kill him. So of course God knew this was going to happen. But we, human beings, in our sinful nature, we put our, um, our, our sin, our violence onto Jesus. Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Take a look at this. You, again, Peter speaking um, to the crowd, said, you disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God has raised him from the dead. And we're witnesses of this. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. And then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Acts chapter 5, next chapter to the right, uh, verses 30 and 31. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to the right hand as a prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness for their sins. Acts chapter 7, verse 52. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of this righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. The, the early apostles, when they talk about the cross, they say it was murder. 
It was deicide. It was human beings murdering God, and God allowed it to happen. Um, Acts chapter 10, last one, verses, uh, verse 39. We are witnesses of this, of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Um, what we see when we look at the cross is the depth to which we are capable of sinking. Like just the, the ugliness of our own sin, that, that when light comes into the world, do you, do you know uh, Henry Cloud, who's a psychologist, he says there are two kinds of people in the world. And we know it by what happens to us when light shines on us. Here are the two kinds of people in the world. We're either the kind of person when light shines on us, all of a sudden we feel our exposure and we adjust ourselves to the truth of the light. So we're vulnerable, we're humble. We say, thank you for revealing like just the ugliness and the darkness inside of me. So we adjust ourselves to the light. The other kind of person, is that when the light shines on us, we adjust the light. We say, no, 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 I don't, I don't like that. That's not what I want to hear. And so we had sort of move back into the shadows and adjust the light. The message of the cross is that when pure light came into the world, we tried to shatter it. Like, we, no, we, we don't want this. And so we, religious leaders, political powers, work together to try to shatter to the light, but this light could not be shattered. The light of God could not be shattered, but God has raised him up. So, what we see when we look at the cross, one of the things we see is the ugliness of human sin. But it is against this dark background. It is against the ugliness of human sin. The contrast to this is God's great goodness and love. In contrast to our sin, to our darkness, our propensity to, to sort of sin and, and that, that causes violence and, and brokenness of all kinds, it's against this contrast that we see the true nature and the beauty of God revealed in Jesus. And so um, Jesus says in John 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, verse 18, he says, No one takes my life from me, but if I lay it down on my own accord, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from the Father. Jesus, he, he, he knows where he's going. He knows he's headed to the cross. He knows living as light in a world of darkness is going to lead to his own violent death. He's been teaching this, his whole public ministry, teaching his disciples, this is going to mean I'm going to die, and it's going to mean you are persecuted as well. But here's the deal. It's not happening by surprise. I am laying my life down. I am choosing to lay it down. Nobody's taking it from me. I am giving it to them. We see against the contrast of our own sort of sinful tendency, the sinful tendency of the world, the broken, dark world, the goodness and the beauty of God's light shining. Jesus was willing to lay his life down. That He took our sins onto himself. We one way of understanding it is that we, through violence, we send our sins into Jesus' body. And we put the holes in his hands and his feet. We pierced his side. We send our sins sort of into the body of Jesus, and he bore our sins. And do you know what he did with them? He recycled them into forgiveness and grace. He recycled them into forgiveness and grace. 
This is the one who looks at those who are nailing him to the cross and who says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They're so blinded by their darkness. They're so blinded by sin. They don't even know what they're doing. This is how God responds to us. He comes among us. He, he allows himself to be subjected to all of our sin and our anger, and he takes it, and he just takes it, absorbs it all into his body, and then he recycles it into forgiveness and grace. This is the beauty of who our God is. So how do we respond? We're called to follow his example. We're called, uh, the prophets throughout the Old Testament, the most prominent message of the prophets was repent, turn around. That's what repent means. It means turn around, do an about face. Stop going the direction you're going. Turn around and come back. And in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul again says this, or do you show contempt to the riches of God's kindness expressed in Christ? I mean, the, the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. When we look at the cross, what we should see is this, again, the ugliness of our sin that exists in us, not just out there in the world, it exists in me, it exists in us. We see the ugliness of our sin, we see the goodness of God's beauty and grace, and it should lead us to repent, to turn around, to say, God, God, I I surrender, I surrender my life to you. To, to receive this, this blessed exchange of our sins for his forgiveness and grace. And we, we follow his example, and we start by just staring into the beauty of Jesus and allowing his kindness to lead us to repentance. And then, and then we understand that we are sent into this world to follow God's example, to replicate Jesus. That Jesus, who, who I'm going to end with just a story from John chapter 20. Jesus, all this has happened to him. And in John chapter 20, the disciples, they're all there in the, the room. They're gathered together. And all of a sudden, Jesus just appears in their midst, right? He's just there. Did knock, knock, knock. Who's there? It's me. Uh, none of that. He was just, boom, he's in the room. And the first words Jesus says to his disciples, do you know what they are? Peace be with you peace be with you. And then he says he shows him his hands. Shows him his side. This is what our sin has done to Jesus. This is what the violence in our hearts has done to Jesus. And then you know what Jesus says again? A second time he says, peace be with you. And then he breathes on them and he says, as the Father sent me, now I send you. I send you into the world to be contrast. In a world of darkness, I send you to testify to the light. You are not the light, but you bear witness to the light. And when you are wronged and when you are hurt and when others take their anger and their anxiety and their frustration out on you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you to process it into forgiveness and grace and mercy. Trust, Jesus says, that I have taken it all. I've taken it all. And now I'm calling you to be my witnesses in this world. God, we thank you for the beauty and the love that you have shown to us through your life, 
through your death, through your resurrection. God, this, this message of the cross that is so scandalous and so beautiful. And God, it's almost too good to be true. And if, God, if you hadn't come, if you hadn't taken on flesh, if you hadn't come into our world, God, we never would have imagined you being like this. God, we couldn't. It's so far beyond us. But God, you loved us enough to come among us. And God, you loved us enough to just live in a dark world as light. And you loved us enough to take all of our darkness onto yourself. And then to offer us forgiveness and mercy and grace. God, we just say thank you. We repent. We turn around. We, um, we come to you. We surrender to you. And God, we ask you that you would so fill us with your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, God, would do it so that everyone might come to the knowledge and the love of you. We pray this in Jesus' name.